Hi there, a quick note before we begin the episode. Did you know that Atlas Lingue has its own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life. In this audiobook, we share additional exclusive commentaries on each episode with brand new insights and examples on the subject that we can't stop thinking about, how humans translate everything that comes their way. Also remember, when you buy Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. So find Atlas Lingue, the layers of language behind everyday life, on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome to Atlas Lingue. I'm your host, Luis Lopez, and this is Season 3, The Language of Culture Online. We're very excited to open the season by talking to someone we at Studio Ochenta have admired for quite some time now, Maya Murillo. Maya is an actor, musician, and content creator who's done everything. Perform quirky ukulele covers, act in the star series Vida, appear on Vogue and Latina magazine, and of course, produce content for BuzzFeed's Pero Like for several years. We had a great conversation about how she gradually became more and more comfortable as a video producer, where she did all sorts of things, from cooking to documenting her first therapy session. We also learned about her journey to learn Spanish in an environment where she wasn't always encouraged to do so. So here's our conversation with Maya Murillo. Enjoy. Let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What prompted you to start acting and creating content? I started at 16 years old, um, actually a little bit before making videos. And, you know, I come from an artsy family. Um, my parents are artists. My dad's a musician. Uh, my mom's an author. My dad's also an author. And my brother, like, also works on the internet. So um, it was a very creative household. So um, they really made us feel very comfortable to create and to just feel like free in, in that creation and our creativity. So, um, instead of a quinceanera, my mom got me a website domain name for Maya in the moment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's very, um, non-traditional, but it's a great gift. Exactly. Yeah. Cause she really, she got one for my brother too. Um, they both really believed in our vision and, um, helped us as much as they could, you know, they were like, um, stage mom or stage parents at all they're just more like yeah whatever you go with the flow very like hipstery um holistic um but yeah i started making videos then um but also started the blog maya in the moment where i would 
blog. Remember blogging back in the day? Well, people still blog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people still blog, but I would right, right. Um, do little things like that and and just talk about my day. Um, but it really picked up when I got my heart broken at like 19 years old and my parents were like, you need to give out love in order to heal your heart, which is not right. the best way to do it. But yeah, okay, you, I'll give it to them. So I started doing $5 love songs, customized love songs on Fiverr.com oh, wow. um, back when it first started. And I also did like uh, love songs for a year on YouTube where I, I did the series where I just sang a bunch of love songs. And that got some public recognition locally in Phoenix where I'm from. So I got booked on all of these different shows on uh, like the morning news to sing love songs and stuff. Um, eventually, like somebody at one of those shows, uh, like one of the producers remembered me for BuzzFeed, ended up working at BuzzFeed later. So it's crazy how everything is connected. Wow. Um, yeah. So she remembered me and then I was still kind of going to, to college at the time, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college, like what I wanted to study because um, I always knew I wanted to do social media and make videos and do acting and art and stuff. But the world wasn't ready at the time. You know, it was so underdeveloped and everybody was just telling us like social media is going nowhere. Like, mm. you know, the internet and all this stuff is temporary. I'm like, I don't know. If they like, only knew. If they only – well, now they're like <laughs> shaking their fists and like right. – uh, um, You were ahead of your time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I I just really enjoyed any platform that would allow me to showcase art and stuff. So the person who worked at BuzzFeed, her name is Macy, she reached out to me and asked if I wanted to apply for the residency at BuzzFeed for Better Like for their Latino channel, Latinx channel. yeah. And I was like, sure, yeah. And it was like, I don't know, like a less than 10-minute conversation on the phone. And they're like, okay, yeah, like, you know, you got the residency. You move out to L.A. next week. Oh, and wow. Yeah, but in between that time where I was like doing the love songs, so I got to BuzzFeed to L.A. at 23. So in between like 19 and 23, I really focused on like making every single type of video to see what I like right. to do, like cooking videos, sketch videos, craft videos, like everything under the sun, because I knew that I wanted to work at BuzzFeed. And so I knew when the day would come when I would get that opportunity, that'd be like, put me in coach, like, <laughs> I can do cooking videos, I can do this and that, you know, so of course, when yeah. the day came for that, I was ready. And, and I ended up moving to LA and worked there for like, six years and um i quit in 2021 of july and um now i'm here just doing my own thing so that's a long-winded awesome. <laughs> how i got started no but but i love what you said about uh you wanting to like really try to do every you know every possible kind of video that you could because because you wanted to have this job, but also because from what I understand, like you, you just enjoy doing all of these things, right? And I think that yeah. you can really tell that versatility in the sort of work you you eventually did at BuzzFeed, right? I, I love that you do interviews, but you also do like, you know, trying foods and then also cooking and then also singing and like all sorts of different content. And I love that like that versatility is very present in what you do. Yeah, it was fun back in the day. I mean, we were just kind of riding the waves of like what 
was trending at the time or what opportunities we got. And, you know, there was a lot of like political videos that we would do. And I'm, I at the time did not feel like I was serious enough or strong enough or smart enough to talk about political issues, but they really made us do our research and be like, you need to represent, like you need to learn how to do these videos, like work with the news teams and, um, you know, like, we really honed in on, yes, what were our talents and strengths, but also we pushed our own needle to um, increase our skill set. And I think that helped me a lot to just like do a bunch of different things. Yeah, it was great. I wanted to go back a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that your parents are, are artists, folk artists, right? Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, what was it like growing up in a home that had like all this art, culture, color on display, you know? Yeah, it was fun. Um, But also, we were like a family business. So my parents do Day of the Dead, Mexican folk art. And my dad has like a Latin reggae band. So it's like reggae music, but he sings in Spanish. Oh, cool. And yeah, so we had to, my brother and I, since we were little, had to help out at different art events to sell their art because they would make like my dad would paint and then my mom would make jewelry or um, like little shadow boxes or like any little like like cositas, you know, like things that were just little trinkets and stuff. Um, and so we had to help sell that stuff. Right. Like like me as like an eight-year-old being like, okay, <laughs> that will be $8. And like, you know, like trying to figure out math and everything. And yeah. we would like sleep under the table, like to take naps <laughs> and everything. So it was, it was something that was like a family business. You know, we worked really hard um, to like help them base coat things. And um, I think it really taught my brother and I just the importance of making your own way and carving your own path because, you know, in like a Latino family, like you say you're going to be an artist, like, what does that mean? You know, like, uh, like our family flipped kind of when we're like, oh, you guys are going to be out on the street. And this was like in the nineties, like, you Mm -hmm. know, they just were scared and, and thought that at the time you get a nine to five and you stay there for the rest of your life and then you retire. And my parents were like, no, we don't want to do that and we don't want to raise our children with that. So they worked very hard to break that cycle. So it was very inspiring to see wow. and we're very close still to this day. I wanted to ask you also about your your singing and like the way that you that you incorporate singing into your content in general. I, I love like the ones that are more more perhaps serious and sincere just as much as the ones that are funnier and sillier just what can you tell us about the role that music plays in your life and in your content while exploring your identity, your culture? It plays a huge role. I think with our culture, we're so passionate and we're, we really heal with music and with art. And I think that's something through listening, growing up to like listening to like Selena Quintanilla, obviously, and like just all of the great legends of them pouring their soul into a song and hearing that pain or hearing that yearning through their voice really was something for me that, and I love Broadway also. So like any dramatic like song or performance, I'm like, Oh, I want to do that. Like it just fills my soul. Um, So yeah, as a kid and especially watching my dad play shows and he taught me piano and guitar and Throughout high school, I played the viola for like years and wrote original music and stuff and kind of like self-taught. 
So it was it was a lot of fun to connect with myself in that way. But yeah, I've, I've been like a musician first and and still to this day, I'm like, I have to remind myself of that because a lot of people know me for like my comedy and my videos, but I'm like at my core, like I'm really like, a, you know, a musician. And um, yeah, it's just something that I, I just love to do. It's, it's a hobby, but it's also just like, it's very healing. Like instead of journaling, sometimes I'll just like sing and like, but sing a sentence that's just like, I miss you. And why don't you want me? And, you know, like just something <laughs> yeah. dumb. Like, yeah. So it's, it's definitely connected to mental health as well. I love that you say that, like, it's a hobby, but beyond. And I, I feel like I, I understand that, like, it feels weird to call it a hobby because it's more than that while also not being like, you know, the role of a professional musician. Yes. But it's still such an integral part of, I guess, your even your professional work as well, right? That it's, yes, it's sort yeah. of in the middle there, right? Yeah. And it's helped me learn Spanish more also, like major. And I remember singing um, the time when I did this video for Better Like, it was like I, I learned Spanish in 90 days or in 60 days or something. And um, I was practicing Cien Años. And broke down each of the lyrics. And I was like, oh, I love this song. It's so good. And I'm like, one day I'm going to sing this song on a stage, like when my Spanish is, it gets better. And I did that like a year ago. I like sang that, that song on a stage and performed it. And it's such a great tool to have. And it's just so, it's so magical. <laughs> Music played a role in in you like practicing and learning Spanish, right? And and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that because that is a like an, a side of your content that I'm really interested in talking about. Because I love that in your content you really allow yourself to be vulnerable on camera for so many different examples, so many different videos. And one of the examples of this that I like is your journey towards speaking Spanish and feeling comfortable with the language. So could you tell me a little bit more about that? About like what that journey has been for you, both perhaps personally in terms of learning it and also in terms of documenting it and sharing it with your audience? I grew up speaking Spanglish and understanding it mostly, but really afraid to speak it because, you know, within our culture, like, honestly, the biggest haters were other Latinos, other Mexicans for me and my family who would be like, oh, either bully me or make fun of me for not speaking Spanish. Or when I did, they'd be like, what did you say? You know, and it creates... Um, some sort of like, I don't know, like trauma where you're just like, oh, I can never do this again. But yet you are yearning to connect deeper with your culture because the language is just it transcends into so many different things. And you can connect with people on a deeper level in ways that you can't in English. And so I felt like I was missing a huge part of my identity and my soul and my culture. Um, so I think I was in this searching mode of trying to find that without feeling like a victim always. Because when I was at Better Like, I would make those videos like in a silly way where I was like, I don't speak Spanish or I don't do this. And I got a comment that was like, we get it. That's your identity. Like, what else can you do? Like, when are you actually going to learn? And I was like, oh, oh all right. Like I was kind of holding off on like learning. So it was a huge thing for me. Those um, comments and I'm also, sting more than you were expecting. Oh right? <laughs> my gosh. And at the time, like those comments were brutal because nobody was doing what we were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. Like it was at 
the very beginning. And so people, my, my first video there too, it was like, um, it was basically about like not feeling enough in your culture. And uh, nobody on the channel had done that. And people were a little bit scared for me to showcase that identity of not feeling 100% Latina enough. And I think that was the video title when you don't feel Latina enough, you know, not really knowing the superstitions, the language or certain um, social cues, kissing on the cheek, like just tiny little micro things. Um, but it ended up doing it did really good on the channel. Um, so that's kind of how that cycle got started. And so when I got to a point where I was being faced with like the audience wanting more, I was like, okay. And then somebody actually like bullied me and for not speaking Spanish, like uh, at, at work. Oh, wow. And it was, uh, I had to call them in and be like, I don't need your jokes or your criticism. I look up to you as somebody who has learned Spanish also. And so I would like for you to like, help me. Like I'm too sensitive yeah. <laughs> about this. Like I need your help and your support. And Gadiel, who is my coworker, Used to be my coworker at BuzzFeed and like one of my best friends, and who um, we know from our our other show, La Cabina yes. Telefonica, where he played he, well, he played Gadiel, the role of Gadiel. So oh my it was, gosh, it was lovely to hear him there. He, he did such a great job. He is such an angel and like truly one of the greatest people I've ever met in my entire life. And he was like, "Why don't you make a video learning Spanish?" And I was like, "Okay." So I pitched it and. I did it and I I got with a tutor. Yeah, and that was like it was a challenge because not only and I'm also dyslexic too, so I think that was like oh. a huge learning disability that I didn't even like realize back then that learning language when you're dyslexic is harder. Of <laughs> too. course, yeah. But then the added pressure of documenting everything and trying to make a good video and then also processing all of the uh, insecurities I had to actually speak the language in front of people because that is how you learn. Like that was my biggest thing is failing is and making mistakes in Spanish. Jump into the deep end. Exactly. But it's the best way to learn because I know I'm like, I'm never going to say that again. Or now I know how to say this, you know, but I. And it might be embarrassing for a moment, but you learn. Yes. Yeah. 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 It might sting, but it's also like, who cares, you know? Right. And I think I, I also just realized so much from that internally in that like a lot of the people especially in the comments or other people who would make fun of me it's a projection you know because I was so secure in being insecure in this identity of learning Spanish and and not feeling enough in my culture that it made these other people triggered Ooh. because in their lives they were picked on or felt some sort of insecurity from whatever I am boasting about right, and celebrating, yeah. you know? So it was a, it was like I was fighting some sort of huge cultural generational monster, like with like yeah. my little wooden sword and shield, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was intense. I love what you said about like the security of being able to feel insecure and like yeah. really recognizing it and going through the process and not only doing that, but also doing it publicly. So yeah, it must be a challenge. I wanted to ask you more about that, about like just opening yourself up to, you know, show your vulnerability on camera and like your process going through all sorts of things in your videos, including this one. 
It's crazy because when I was I started working there when I was 23 and I've lived a majority of like my 20s working at this job that really at the time they would the internet would re- reward you the more vulnerable you would be which is like cool because in one way I really felt the connection from the audience and the love and the support and the healing because I would get a lot of people to come up to me at different shows or um, at like Disneyland or randomly and they would tell me and pour into me like thank you so much for sharing your story because now I'm learning Spanish and now I feel less alone and I remember seeing somebody like that in my life and feeling so seen and and that I could relate and I think that's so powerful and so magical of working on the internet. But on the other hand, as just a human being experiencing this life, I would definitely open up too soon um, when I didn't even face it for myself. Like I, I would go through like, I did this video where I wanted to be more open to love. And um, it was me basically, number one, having my first therapy session on camera ever and number two, like I, I tried to – I like interviewed everybody about love and asked for their advice and opened up about my own breakup stories and everything. And then I went on a date at the end of the video, like a blind date. And there were certain things in that video and other things, other videos that I've done where it has to center around my body image that I wasn't ready to share at the time. But I knew that I needed to make it and, you know, I'm – I was fine with that. But when I got out of working there and had my own, I made my own decisions to how much I wanted to open up for my own channel on my own as an entrepreneur now, I I think I went a little bit like a hermit crab where I was just like, I, I don't want to share as much anymore because I want to like, I, I need to heal myself or I need to not heal through these videos, basically. I think I started to become more... I I focused more on what I wanted to share when I was ready versus outsourcing validation. Right. Because a lot of the times with being vulnerable and open, as much as we want to say, like, we're doing it for the greater good, you're benefiting off of it in some way, right? You got to be real. Like, um, and I think I was doing it sometimes in a way that was like, seeking validation or I would do a fitness video to get back at somebody to show like I lost weight and like I'm doing it publicly, you know, and I had to like pump the brakes on that. But now I'm at a space where I'm like, okay, like I I can be more open about things when I want to on my time. But yeah, I don't regret anything. It's just like you learn. And when you're young and in your 20s, you're like, sure, I'll share everything. Right. (laughs) I wanted to maybe ask you a little bit more about the challenges of learning Spanish. What inspires you to be vocal about these challenges? I because I, I understand that there's you know there's so many aspects to it. It can be like like a sort of internalized idea that that, that one can bring from from family from previous generations who are like forbidden to speak Spanish, mm-hmm. and also as you say, like from just having like family members who speak Spanish fluently and who like perhaps don't usually tolerate people who don't or people who are learning. What are some of the inspirations behind sharing your voice in no longer feeling insecure about that? Or or as you said, like feeling secure and acknowledging those insecurities to overcome them? 
My biggest inspiration for learning Spanish back then was to have a conversation with my grandma, with my nani. I would hear her on the phone a lot talking with her homegirls and they just sounded so cool. And I want to be able to like cheese me on the wall like, you know, the other kids are playing or like my cousins are playing and nobody knows what we're talking about or have like our own secret language. Um, and that was like one of the biggest inspirations because I love the whole matriarch aspect of families and and how that's rooted to like our ancestors and everything. And my grandma is um, her her both her parents were um, from the Yaqui Nation in Tucson, and that was something that like uh, her grandmother didn't speak Spanish because she spoke her native Yaqui language and got shamed for speaking Spanish. Natives at the time back then speaking their native tongue in general was like a no-no. And then on the other hand, like my mom's parents would speak Spanish but would not teach them because they wanted to have their own language. And I think with my grandmother, with my mom's mom, there was a level of like internalized self-hate or, or just wanting wanting to assimilate with American culture uh, because we were I mean, back then they were like the only Mexicans in a white neighborhood. And um, so there were a lot of different threads and and just like things that were surrounding Spanish in general with my family. So I was just kind of like, how can I collect all these things and somehow heal through my own experience? So that was like another big inspiration was to reclaim that for myself um, in my own time and not being pressured or feeling like I'm being bullied into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, now I can speak Spanish with my grandma and it's fun. And she's also like, she speaks a lot of Spanglish too. And yeah, I think it's like just trying to reclaim that whole like Americanized perspective of because I'm like third or fourth generation Mexican-American, you know, so my family's pretty much assimilated, but we're also Mexican-American. Right. Yeah. You know, like Mexican-American, like Chicano, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So it's And there's obviously a, a lot of pride in that as well. Yes, it's like a subculture and it's so weird when people would call me out for being like a pocha back in the day when I'm like I come home and everybody has like an accent that like a Chicano accent and everybody like uses Spanish in their in their words. Not every single word is Spanish, but like we weren't just American, you know? So I right, think that was course. also a thing that I wanted to bring into my journey to learn Spanish as well and my identity to reclaim because I'm like, I'm not going to let anyone define me because of whatever, because it all stems back to like colonization too. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, what are we really fighting about you guys? You know? (laughs) And and since you mentioned it right now, uh, the, the word bocha, uh, what's the origin behind the, what would it be like a nickname or the term bocha concha? It's like, bocha is very derogatory. Yeah. Somebody did call me a pocha in a derogatory way. And, and at first I was like, ouch. And then Curly, who I worked with at Better Like, who's also one of my best friends, he was um, like describing and labeling all of the, uh, like all of our team members, like, oh, we have such a perfect team. Like we have the Dominicans, we have a Salvi, we have um, a Colombian and our pocha concha. Mm. And I was like, oh, because I love conchas. I love pan dulce. Yeah. Like it's my thing. So I was like, pocha concha, it's another thing to reclaim that word for myself. 
I remember when I first started saying it, there was like a couple people making articles like, you shouldn't say this word. I'm like, it seems like I don't want to put a lot of power into any words at all. You know, if anything, I want to make it something that like is a term of endearment and for other people who feel the same way as me, you know, and, and proud to be a pocha. It's not like we're never going to learn Spanish or that we're ashamed of our identity. We're actually even more proud of it right? Yeah. and where we're at. And yeah, that's just it. Pride in the the mixing of language and, and like in creating an, a unique form of communication, a unique language. Yeah. Because I think the biggest like pushback that I got from everything was like, oh, like why didn't your parents teach you or you're just being lazy or just, it's like, but you also don't know my family's background or how my nani, my grandma was shamed for speaking Spanish. And like when she was in school, she didn't know how to say, I need to go to the bathroom and she peed her pants. Like, and she was embarrassed, like things like that where like the teacher would hit them with a ruler if they spoke Spanish. Like that has some serious psychological thing or effect on you that is going to be passed down and make you feel like, not proud to carry on this language, but, but, and also not safe. And now when the world has shifted and changed and, you know, my, my other grandma, I remember I like spoke Spanish to her and she looked at me as if she was like, why are you, why are you doing that? Like, why are you speaking Spanish? And I was like, cause I'm learning and I want to speak with you. She's like, why? Like she just truly, you know, did not understand. And so when people, dog on me or anyone else for like, oh, you're lazy or how come you don't speak Spanish or whatever. It's like, there's a lot of layers, bro. You know, <laughs> it's like pick a layer. Like, yeah, it's a lot. Damn it if you do, damn it if you don't. Exactly. And I'm also like, it, what is it to you if if I don't speak the perfect Spanish? It's a projection, you know? No one speaks the perfect Spanish in any case, right? <laughs> I know, yeah. Speaking of Spanish, I love how, you know, through your work, your work, you've collaborated with like other Latinx creators from, from different cultural backgrounds whose families come from different uh, Latin American countries. And so I wanted to ask you, as a Mexican-American, what are some of your favorite Spanish words that are not Mexican? And are, are there any that you've adopted because, you know, you, you like them or you feel like that Mexicans don't have a word for that or you prefer mm, another one? Yeah. I, so I, when I started learning Spanish, like officially it was, I was surrounded by Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and there Ooh, was okay. like one or two Mexicans on the team. So back then I would, I would be like, que lo que, or like mm-hmm. call people like a palomo or paloma, because that's just yeah. what I, I was like a baby. I like absorbed everything. And I had um, one of my coworkers tell me like, Maya, you're Mexican. We don't say que lo que, like we don't say these things. And, you know, I knew like the, the slang, the Mexican slang words too, but I don't like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans like just have this like sauce to them that is like so infectious. And um, even still to this day when I'm around Gariel, I also feel like I can hear Dominicans and Puerto Ricans more clearly than before. Probably the clearest, which is like, you know, some people have trouble understanding them because the way they speak is just so it's it's like music. It's like they're singing almost, you know, and people are like, I think because uh, in the West Coast, Mexicans are like have dominated that area and and society thinks that like Latinos are all Latinos are Mexican. It's like, no, like there's people who s- speak in a way that's different and 
every single way that they speak is correct. You know, there's yeah. no right way to speak or proper way to speak. Like, no. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that, that you love uh, conchas pan dulce, and that reminded me of the videos where you cook recipes as well, which I also yeah. enjoy very much. Uh, I love how, you, like in those, you also mix culture in several ways, of course, in language, but also in, in the history and the traditions of the dishes that you that you prepare, and of course, in the in the cuisine itself. So I wanted to ask you, like, what are some of your favorite recipes that you that you've made in one of these videos? And are there any that maybe surprised you for better or worse? That whole series was really hard. It was like, it was called the Pocha Concha or Pocha Concha Kitchen. And at first, we just wanted to make one video that was me making my grandpa's tamale recipe. His brother also made tamales. So they had like a rivalry. So I was like, well, I want to make my grandpa's, you know, recipe. Um, and that was a lot of fun, but it was hard. It was so difficult. But I did it at the end of the day. Um, and I think I made conchas also i wonder if those were the first that was the first video that one was really hard to make pastries is extremely difficult and i have no joke yeah (laughs) i'm not a bread person (laughs) like i love to eat bread to to do the dough and everything i'm just i don't have the patience or the strength for that at all i loved making oh mole was really hard too i think i made pozole it was hard because the whole concept of like the series was that I got this recipe completely in Spanish. And as I'm still learning Spanish, I make these traditional cuisines from my culture or other cultures. So that was like the whole like thing of it. But yeah, it was it was hard to like not only be in it, but then like to actually make the thing as well. Like if it was just me making it, then it would be different. But it was OK. It was cool. Just a very quick round here of, of questions. There are just three questions. The first one is, if you overnight had the ability to play a musical instrument that you currently can't play, what would it be? Wow. I think I would love to play like the stand-up bass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That seems like a lot. Of, or the cello. I played the viola, which was really fun, but there's something about the cello and like the stand-up bass that's just like I just it's just so like full and heavy and just like I don't know. So appealing, right? Yeah, and it looks cool. I feel like you look cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those instruments that makes you look cool. Yeah. Just like by standing next you to play it. the cello, you're like, wow, you're probably really smart, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also like s- smart, but also like but like cool as well, right? Yeah, and like mysterious and serious. Yeah, it's really cool. Love it. No, no wonder Wednesday made it so popular. Exactly. Like, I was that was such a perfect like scene because it's she was yeah. just like going into it. Yeah, it was good. And on a related note, if if you had an intro song or piece of music that played every time you walked into a room, what would it be? Um, Miracles happen oh, by. Yeah. Myra, her name is Myra. It, it was, it's in the Princess Diaries. It's like, right. miracles happen. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, I would love that. Would you rather be trapped in a romantic comedy with your enemies or in a horror movie with your friends? Romantic comedy, 100%. Because I feel like at the end of the movie, we would all be in love again 
and be happy and friends, you know, versus a horror film. It's like something, something dramatic is going to happen where, where it's going to end and we're all either going to be dead or not friends anymore because somebody in the group was like a murderer or something, you know? Yeah. But like, what if your enemies happen to be like actually your soulmate, you know? Yeah. Enemies to lovers in the end. <laughs> Love it. Chef's kiss. <laughs> It was such a pleasure to talk to Maya, and we're very grateful that she was willing to be so open with us. You can follow Maya on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Maya in the Moment. She's also recently been working on acting projects, which she's really excited to share once they're ready, so stay tuned for those as well. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts, and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. You can also watch this season's interviews and more of our shows on our YouTube channel at Ochenta Podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, it's Luis here, and I want to tell you about a show we've been listening to called The Pulso Podcast. There are a lot of podcasts that cover Latino culture and news, but this is one of the first we've heard that really utilizes the throughline of history to provide more context and nuance to our stories. From the halls of Congress to the stages of Broadway, even the food we consider to be American, Latinos helped build this country, and we're not going anywhere. Yet most podcasts are still lacking Latino representation behind and in front of the mic. The Pulso Podcast is a Latina-hosted, Latina-produced show that explores untold stories and unheard voices shaping the experiences of nuestra gente. They've covered topics from beauty standards and gender equality to mental health and food origins. And did you know that there is an official Spanish version of the Star-Spangled Banner? Or that a team of Mexican lawyers changed the future of segregation laws in the 50s? To hear more, check out the Pulso podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.